0: Hey, howdy, Space Nerds. This podcast is produced by the public radio station WMFE. Public radio is made possible from contributions from listeners just like you, and a few times a year we ask those listeners to consider making a donation to help the programs they love. So if you love this podcast, consider a gift to keep it going. You can make a donation online by visiting WMFE.org, or if you're old school, you can call 1 800 785 2020 to make your contribution. 10 bucks, 100 bucks, five bucks a month, a dollar a day, anything helps. Thanks. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question Are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. If we're going to go to Mars, we're going to have to figure out how to live in space for a really long time. NASA ran an experiment on astronauts and twins Scott and Mark Kelly. They sent Scott up to space for nearly a year and kept Mark on Earth to see how bodies change in microgravity. What they found was Scott suffered from bone loss and new allergies to things like his own bedsheets. Back here on Earth, I spoke with Commander Scott Kelly about some of the strange ways his body changed while up in space and what's ahead for figuring out long-duration spaceflight. Scott Kelly, thanks so much for speaking with us. My pleasure, Brendan. So, Scott, the Year in Space experiment's goal was to observe the physiological effects of long-duration space flight. Can you talk about some of the physical things you experienced when you came home?
1: So in, uh, you know, microgravity, we do have uh, some physical effects. We lose bone mass, muscle mass. Um, there's effects on our vision. There's the effects of radiation. And then there's also the effects when you, when you come back, um, getting back into gravity. Initially, you're dizzy, you're nauseous, Uh, you know, those things subside pretty quickly. Um, Things that lasted longer was, you know, soreness and stiffness in my my joints and muscles. There was, uh, I had rashes where my skin had not touched anything for a really long time. It seemed like I had a kind of an immune response to pressure um, on my skin. There is the... uh, and I also had something that I'd never experienced before, you know, being in space for this long, and that is my legs would swell up when I would stand up, and it was really a, a uh, disturbing feeling, feeling all the blood rushing to your legs. Uh, but you get, you know, you get past it, and you know, within about eight months, I felt completely back to normal.
0: Is that something that you expected? Were, were you prepared for that, like the rashes and the swelling?
1: No, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. I had flown a six-month flight previously and I didn't have that. So it was a surprise.
0: Now, I mean, spending nearly a year in space away from home, away from family, obviously, we talked about the physical symptoms, but there had to be an emotional toll as well. Can you kind of talk to me a bit about that and, and how you coped with, with being so far from home for so long?
1: It, that's one of the, the hard parts about being isolated like that in a, in a situation where you know, no matter what happens on earth, you can't return. I was always more concerned about the safety of my family on the ground than I was my personal safety in space, despite the fact that, you know, there was a lot more risk that I was taking than than they were taking on Earth. Um, And, you know, it's, you deal with it, but it's the hardest part, I think, about, at least psychologically, it's the hardest part about spending a long time in space is that aspect of it, which I experienced firsthand, because on my previous flight, my sister-in-law Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords was shot in Tucson, Arizona, and I you know, I couldn't come back to support my family.
0: For, for the year in space trip, I mean, how did you communicate with, with your family, your brother, your sister-in-law, those folks? Yeah, we
1: have pretty good means of communication. We have email. Uh, we have a phone that you don't always have a connection with the ground, but probably about you know, 45, 50 minutes every hour sometimes longer. Um, You have uh, a a satellite link where, you know, I could call anytime I wanted, really, and call anyone on Earth. We would do video conferences on the weekends. Um, So we have a really good capability to stay connected. And did that help
0: help get over the homesickness that you had a bit?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would describe... What I experienced being homesickness, though, you know, you certainly miss things on Earth, but it's not like I would, you know, I was like longing for or, you know, climbing the walls to get out of there because I missed all this stuff. I think I handled it pretty well. If I I needed to stay another year, if there was a good reason for that, I would have been able to do that.
0: And, And space is pretty cool up there, too. I mean, you had some nice views every day, didn't you?
1: Oh, it's a magical place. You know, it's like, uh, you know, adult Disneyland. Um, A privilege to live there uh, for the amount of time I did. Like you said, incredible views of the Earth. Always, uh, you know, shockingly beautiful.
0: Now, from your perspective, I mean, spending that time in space and being the subject of this experiment, um, learning how to live for a long duration in space, from that perspective, what do you think the biggest challenge that we still face when it comes to long-duration spaceflight.
1: Well, if we're talking about going to Mars or beyond the uh, protective magnetic field of Earth, radiation is, a, is a, going to be a challenge and is one of the concerns. It's not a challenge that we can't overcome, but it's something that we need to uh, you know, work uh, more on uh, before we go to Mars. Uh, after that, I would say you know if you 're going to live in space for years, we should probably need need some kind of artificial gravity
0: and uh what would be the um uh kind of the advantage of of having the artificial gravity would would that alleviate some of those those symptoms that you had coming back
1: yeah i, I would think so um because those are were due to the absence of gravity. And you might not need, you know, 1G or Earth's gravity. It might be something maybe even much less. But, um, you know, that's the stuff I think going forward. And in the future, we're going to have to study more.
0: What about, um, you know, meals up there? I know there's been quite a bit of uh, research up on the ISS to to grow some uh, fresh vegetables up there. And I, I believe you took part in, in eating some of that lettuce that was grown in the Veggie Project what kind of a treat was that like while you were up there, you know, after eating all this prepackaged food for so long? Well, we
1: get fresh food uh, sent up to us with the cargo, with the resupply uh, vehicles that we get every few months. So one, when one of those arrives, you'll have some fresh fruits and vegetables for a few days before they start to spoil. But, you know, having something that you grew yourself in space and you got to watch, you know, grow from little seeds is, uh, you know, kind of a special treat. And, you know, not only does uh, when we go to Mars someday or go other places, I think not only will our ability to grow food help our nutrition, but it also, you know, I think there's an emotional uh, aspect to it when you leave Earth and you're leaving all life behind. But in this case, you're able to take some with you and, and uh, you know, watch it grow.
0: Kind of takes your mind off things, too, right? You know, having a routine where you have to care for the plants or, or whatnot, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's something that's a, kind of an earthly thing to do, and it, uh, you know, provides a little bit of a distraction. Made me think, though, what you, w- w- the way you posed that question, I, it made me think for the first time, maybe we should have pets in space. Good like dog.
0: Do, do you have any pets down here on, on the ground, Scott?
1: No, nah, I'm on the road too much. I think we would name them Astro.
0: <laughs> and it would definitely be a dog, not a cat, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think cats... No no offense to cat folks, but I, 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 I think a cat would
0: be dangerous. I'd have to agree with you on that one. Yeah. Scott, you retired from the astronaut corps after logging more than 500 days in space, 18 hours outside um, the, the space station or the shuttle, year in space, experiment. I mean, what advice do you have for the next generation of astronauts, those astronauts that will spend... More than a year in space. What can you give to them?
1: When I have a kid tell me that they are, their goal is to be an astronaut and fly in space someday. What should they do? Well, if you're going to be a NASA astronaut, there's certain qualifications, minimum qualifications that you can find online, and they they're things like you know you need a bachelor's degree in a technical field like science or math. Um, medicine something uh, like a stem type uh, education at a minimum but what i tell kids is that you know you should choose something you like you know don't don't become a pilot in the military because i was a military pilot and you think that is the path you should take choose one of these fields that you like because you're probably going to do better at it if you like it you know if you don't become an astronaut you you're better off having a career that you did for the sake of that career versus it as a stepping stone to something else but also you know be good at other things you know nasa wants people that are uh, well-rounded that can demonstrate that they've worked as a team that have leadership ability so even if you're the best you know astrophysicist in the world that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to make a good astronaut you might but NASA wants, you know, people that have a background in, you know, teamwork and doing stuff that's challenging, uh, which, you know, would be a reflection on how they might perform in space.
0: So Scott Kelly, your new memoir is A Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. It's out now. What's the one thing you hope readers take away from this book?
1: That this book is not just about space flight. It's about this kid that couldn't do his homework, and at 18... It was about a kid that with probably with ADD that couldn't do his homework. At 18, found a book, The Right Stuff, was inspired by it so much so that it changed my life. And then 18 years later, I flew in space for the very first time.
0: Now, this podcast uh, that we have you on now is called Are We There Yet? We ask that question of Mars. Obviously, there's a lot more to learn, but I'm going to ask you to, to bring out your crystal ball here and say... You know, when can we finally say we are there and we're ready to go to Mars and we're ready to put boots on the ground?
1: Um, Going to Mars is, and I'll quote my brother, is not really about rocket science. It's about political science. So NASA could go to Mars with the right um, political support and funding pretty soon. But, you know, we need uh, elected representatives that will, you know, understand the importance of spaceflight and, you know, give us the appropriate guidance and uh, money to achieve that goal. And it's funny, your the name of your show is Are We There Yet? I think I said that several times while I was in space for a year.
0: Well, Scott Kelly uh, spent a year in space, uh, now a retired astronaut uh, from NASA. Thank you so much for speaking with us.
1: You're welcome, Brendan. Thank you.
0: That was Commander Scott Kelly. Next week, we'll look beyond a year in space and talk to the next group of astronauts training to spend long periods in space. So stay listening. The conversation continues on Twitter. The show is AWTYMars, and I'm at SpaceBrendan. Got a story idea? Comment? Complaint? Want to say hi? Well, shoot me an email. I'm at Are we there Yet at WMFE.org. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from the listeners of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin MacLeod. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org slash space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.